John, lead pastor, Noel Peepcrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plan started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. We'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. I found it very ironic. <clears throat> maybe you knew this, maybe you did not know this, but September 11th is also a day set aside traditionally in the church to uh, remember the beheading of John the Baptist. Did you know that? I learned that literally this morning. Um, evidently, I, I imagine dating back to more like um, early church traditions. Yeah, September 11th uh, was a day that's been set aside by the church. And we just so happen to be talking about John the Baptist this morning. So <clears throat> call that divine providence or just sheer consequence or uh, uh, coincidence, uh, I don't know. Uh, but here we are in Matthew uh, chapter 11. We're, uh, we're to the last two chapters of what uh, theologian or, or commentator D.F. Bruner calls uh, the, uh, the Christ book, the first 12 chapters of the book of Matthew. Um, these chapters have been telling us all about Jesus. We've seen his birth. We've seen his baptism. We've seen the most famous sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, or I, or I should say we've heard the, the most famous sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. We've, uh, we've listened to his sermon on mission, so a couple really prominent sermons of Jesus we've studied, and we've also seen his miracles, the way he worked and the way that he moved in power. We've seen the words of Jesus, and we've seen the deeds of Jesus, and so in these two uh, chapters, we kind of see the capstone of this Christ book, uh, as D.F. Bruner calls it. And uh, he, he says that they're, they're, these next stories are really six portraits of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the portrait of Jesus as the Messiah. And uh, the, the key question is the question that John comes to Jesus with via his disciples, which is, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Jesus? And John's question in this passage, it's not merely rhetorical, right? Which is a question that you're not looking for an answer uh, to. His question is really uh, powerful. In fact, I think it's in many ways the question, isn't it? For us, just as much as it was for John thousands of years ago. Who is Jesus? Who are you, Jesus? And then, of course, our response to that, what are we going to do with this man Jesus. So that's the question we're asking today. I think it's the one we should all be asking. Who are you, Jesus? I, uh, I almost like just got super geeky on John the Baptist uh, this week. Um, I say almost because I kind of did. I got kind of geeky on John the Baptizer, as some people call him. Um, because uh, this passage is like, it, it, it talks about this man, John the Baptist, in a way that's really profound, I think, for us. And I'm super excited <laughs> to talk about John the Baptist a little bit this morning. And I'm super excited that 9-11 is, is the, the day that the church commemorates his beheading. Because the story of John is um, it's profound. It's really profound. And so uh, I, I, wanna, I wanted to refer to uh, John today. That's not just John the Baptist or, or John or JTB, as I like to call him. Um, I wanted to refer to John as John the Believer today. 
You know, and, and one of the things that we're going to see in this passage is that John comes to Jesus with a question. And some would say doubt. I would say doubt. John sends his disciples to Jesus with doubt. Are you really the one I've been saying that you were or that you are? And so we see, we can learn a lot from that, I think. We can learn a lot from this John, the one who is preparing the way in the wilderness, the voice calling out, as Isaiah says. I think we can learn a lot from this question. We can learn a lot even from his doubt. And so uh, let's start uh, in verse 2. It says in verse 2, and, and you guys, uh, if you have your Bibles on your phone, or however you have them, it would be a great idea to open them up because I will be bouncing around um, in the Gospels. Uh, we're in Matthew 11, 1 through 19, but I'll also be ref- referring to um, the Old Testament as well as the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it says in, in this passage, though, when John, that's John the baptizer, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. You know, the things that Jesus was doing, the deeds of the Messiah. When John heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? <clears throat> I wanted to start by, by giving a little background to who John the Baptist was. Who is this John the Baptizer? Well, if you uh, read the account in Luke 1, you'll see the story of a priest, a Jewish priest, an Israelite priest named Zechariah. John was the son of Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were older in age. Zechariah goes to the temple, and he hears from the Lord there that his wife is going to be uh, pregnant with this John. And uh, he, he actually like doubts that the Lord could do this. I think he says something to the effect of, my wife's too old which seems like such a biblical story, you know? My wife's too old to have a baby, and then a baby is born, you know? Impossible uh, pregnancies are like one of the ways that, Jesus, that God seems to move throughout time. So Zechariah, he has a little bit of doubt, actually. He's like, really? This can't happen. And so the story's crazy. He, like, loses his speech. He's, like, made mute, right? That's, yeah, mute. He's made mute because of his lack of faith, it says in the story. Anyways, I guess that convinced him. He goes home. He talks to Elizabeth. She becomes preg- pregnant with John. Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, is actually a cousin to Mary, Jesus' mother. So Jesus and John, cousins of sort. Probably distant cousins, but cousins of sort. They're relatives, for sure. Uh, I-, I love this idea of John the Baptist being really maybe the first believer in Jesus. There's this, if you read Luke chapter, uh, I think it's in three now, um, Sorry, it's still in chapter 1 where uh, Mary has just heard from the angel. And so she goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, and she's all excited. And Elizabeth's excited. She knows right away. It says the Spirit came on her and revealed to her. And and Mary was pregnant with uh, Jesus at that time, as was Elizabeth, right? So they're pregnant cousins. Mary comes to see Elizabeth. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 1 that John leapt with joy in Elizabeth's womb when Mary came into the, into the presence of Elizabeth. Isn't that powerful? John was a believer even in the womb. He's leaping for joy. He could sense by the Holy Spirit <laughs> that there was something special about this pregnancy that Mary had going on. That's pretty cool. He was the first believer. Um, and then, of course, you guys uh, know that, that John was the one that the Old Testament talked about, right? The preparer of the way, according to Luke 3. That's, that comes out of Isaiah 40. John's life was a prophecy fulfilled. 
Isaiah said, there'll be one, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Funny, I just, prepare you. I just went to like New King James. Isn't it funny how some, if you've been in the church for a while, some, I don't know, like some verses I only memorized in certain translations, I suppose. Anyway, uh, so John the Baptist was, uh, he was prophesied. He's a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. Uh, John was also the baptizer of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? A man who Jesus would later call the greatest man born of a woman. Dang, that's a title right there, right? But a man baptized Jesus. Jesus was baptized uh, by John the Baptist. Uh, At his baptism, you know, there's that scene where it says a spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And we know that that was the time when Jesus was actually filled by the Holy Spirit in that moment. That was a significant moment. John talks about that. John the Baptist mentions that. In Luke chapter 3, you can see John says that was the sign that God had given him to confirm that Jesus was the Messiah. So I'm saying all these things, you guys, because I want you to know that John was a believer. John was maybe the first believer, the ultimate believer, whatever you want to say. John was a believer with doubts. Not a doubter who, like, sometimes believed. He was a believer, like a Christian, maybe the first Christian, with doubts, right? He was an early witness to Jesus, you guys. Like, again, look in, look in uh, Luke, look in uh, the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is testifying to the Messiah of Jesus. He calls him, you, you'll remember this phrase, he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was on the bandwagon from the very beginning of Jesus' life. He left with joy. He baptized Jesus. He was the first to testify, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a believer, and yet he sends his disciples to Jesus with some doubts. And I think here's the point. Why do I go to all the lengths to say that? Why do I go to all these lengths to tell you that he was a total believer, likely the first believer. The reason I go to those lengths is because we see in this story that even though he was a believer, he, he had a moment where his faith wavered. I just, I, I wanted to encourage you, you guys, like, as a believer, there may be moments where your faith wavers. John was a believer, the greatest man born of a woman, and yet his faith wavered. Why did it waver? John had good reason for his faith to waver. I bet you've got some good reasons for your own faith to have wavered. I'd even invite you now to think of a time, or maybe, maybe that time is right now, where you're like, Jesus, I'm not 100% sure that you are who you say you are. And maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe, maybe you've not even, like, maybe you're just checking it out. Maybe you've followed for a while, but disappointment has got you down. I don't know exactly where you are. But a lot of us deal with doubt. And uh, a lot of us, even if we're believers, experience this moment of our faith wavering. You know, John, he sent his disciples. Why didn't John come himself to ask Jesus this question? Because he was behind bars, wasn't he? He'd spoken up about Herod and Herod's relationship with his, uh, with his brother's ex-wife. John had spoken out against that relationship, and so Herod put him in prison. He had a lot of reason to, uh, to, to wonder, like, hey, Jesus, remember, you're the guy that's going to set the captives free. Look over here, captive. 
Remember me, the first believer. Would you mind setting me free? You wonder how many days would it have taken John to, to, to start to doubt, like, man, did I get it wrong? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Uh, as you know, the story goes, you could go to Matthew 14. We'll be there in a few weeks, months, probably. Weeks, maybe months. Matthew 14. It tells the story of when, uh, this is future now, what's about to happen is John's about to be beheaded, right? I told you today's the day that the early church designated to commemorate the beheading of, of John the Baptist. Listen, you guys, John. John, the first believer, the one who believed in Jesus, I believe, in his mother's womb. He died a terrible death for the things he said about Jesus. And isn't this consistent with what we've been saying? Right? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, when we're on mission with Jesus, it won't necessarily go all that well for you. Hey, if you're in it for glory, if you're in it for the easy road, if you're in it for prosperity or wealth or health or whatever it is, you might want to get off the bandwagon because things are going to get hard. And things got really hard for John the Baptist. This story is so perverse. Herod is, is like with his brother's ex-wife. That is, that's weird. And then his stepdaughter comes to like dance for him. That's weird. Like in a bad way, weird. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not right. This man's crooked. This man is so crooked. And John's speaking up against this. He's like, that's not right. And what happens to John? The, the stepdaughter who dances for Herod asks for John's head. And Herod, caught up in his lust, his fantasy, his eroticism, he grants her request. This is terrible. This is terrible. Put yourself in the shoes of John the Baptist. Can you imagine why he might have a little bit of doubt about who this Jesus is? So he sends his disciples and he says, who are you, Jesus? See, uh, <clears throat> Jesus just wasn't really acting like the Messiah they expected. He wasn't acting like the Messiah they expected. They expected a more like political or militaristic advisor that would free them. They were under Roman rule at that time. God's people, the Israelites, are under Roman rule. Even Herod, who I referred to, you guys, I mean, it's sick and dirty. The story gets worse and worse. Herod ruled the Jew Jews oppressively. Herod was a Jew, but he'd been bought off by the Romans, put in place to rule his own people. He was oppressing his own people for money, for like a position under Rome. This is bad stuff. These are the times. And so John was expecting, certainly, as were many of those people in that time, a more like militaristic, like political freedom. And it wasn't coming from Jesus the Messiah. Jesus was hanging out in the backwoods, Galilee, Nazareth. Jesus is like hanging out with sinners. He's healing insignificant people. He's not even in Jerusalem at this time doing something really big. <clears throat> He's working in small towns. And here John sits in prison. And so he doubts. And so what does he do with his doubt? That's the question I want to ask you today. What, what do you do with your doubts? Where do we go when we have doubts about who Jesus is? 
I think this is a critical question, not that you would have doubts. I'm here to tell you today that if you follow Jesus, just like John followed Jesus, you're probably going to have some times where you're wondering, what is going on? And I was thinking back to my story, thinking back to times where I wondered. You know, like, when you've prayed for something, you've prayed for breakthrough, or you've prayed for someone to be healed, and maybe it hasn't come, or it hasn't come yet, what is the doubt that you're living with? I think you need to burrow into your doubt this morning. We, as a people, we need to burrow into our doubts this morning, because what we do with our doubt is really important. We got to ask the question, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Jesus? Can I put my faith in you? That's what John was asking. I'm in prison at the hands of an evil man who's going to do evil things. Don't you think John had some idea that something bad was going to happen to him? Don't you think John wasn't sitting there thinking, I'm going to be free and everything is going to be okay at some point? What do we do with our doubts? John was asking, Jesus, can I put my faith in you? If I give you everything, can I really trust you? Can you be trusted? Because it's not looking good, Jesus. I, I did what God asked me to do, and here I sit, imprisoned, wrongly. Death is imminent. I'm hurting. I'm alone. Will you save me, Jesus? That's what I would have asked if I was John. Will you save me? Will you do something about this? How come you're not doing anything? And who are you? If you won't respond to me in the way that I expect, who even are you? Are you the Messiah that I've been telling people you are? Look, I just I want to say to you today that believers like John, like you, like me, will experience periods of doubt, frustration, struggling, challenge. Sometimes I think our doubts can make us think that we're not even believers. Have you ever been there? I'm doubting so much. I'm so disappointed. I'm so frustrated. I'm so discouraged. For whatever reason, I'm confused. I don't know. This doesn't make sense. Sometimes our doubts get so strong that we can start to feel like we're not believers even. I, I just, I'm here to say this morning, you guys, your doubt does not disqualify you. It did not disqualify John the Baptist. In fact, some traditions have even tried to say, nah, John didn't really doubt. John didn't really doubt because I think there's that belief so ingrained in us that if we, if we lose faith for a little bit, if we have trouble believing, if we have challenges with our belief, maybe we're disqualified. I'm here to say this morning, your, your doubt does not disqualify you. Look, the, the, the fundamental difference between a believer and an unbeliever is what you do with your doubts. What does John do faced with doubt? He gets to Jesus. He goes straight to Jesus with his doubts. I love even the faith in that doubt. Do you know what I'm saying? I love the faith in John's doubts. He's like, man, this is not adding up, but I know what I got to do. I got to get to Jesus. And I can't get to him physically right now because I'm behind bars. So I'll send my guys to go get to Jesus. And I'm telling you this morning, you guys, if you're, if you're experiencing doubt, when you're experiencing doubt, when you've experienced doubt, when you're going to experience doubt, get yourself to Jesus. Take your doubts to Jesus. 
The next part of this story, and, and Gunnar, you can go to, the, I think I have some cool slides actually. Let's use those suckers. The, the, um, the next part is, is how Jesus responds. So one more slide over. Thanks, Gunnar. Perfect. Verse 4, Jesus replied to John's disciples, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. <laughs> I love this. Go back and tell your guy, John, what you hear and what you see out here in the world. Because this is what's happening. Verse 5, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I love Jesus' response. Because like we, I think we're prone to think that Jesus would be mad at John or that if I come to Jesus with my doubts, he might scold me. Oh, you have little faith. We've heard him say that at times, right? But in this instance with John, Jesus replies with the gospel, the good news, the truth about who he is, the truth about what he's done, and he replies with grace for John's doubts. Look, John needs faith. Uh, and how does Jesus give him his faith, right? John needs faith. How does Jesus give him his faith? This is what he does. He simply tells him about his words and his deeds. Hey, John, if you'd been out here, this is what you would have seen. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Think Sermon on the Mount when you hear that phrase. Look, our churches uh, need faith. We need faith. Our world needs faith. And the way to bring this faith is to proclaim the word and the deeds of Jesus. This is why we're studying Jesus' life in the book of Matthew. We need his words and we need to see what he's done. We need both. And then we need to go and we need to make known what he said. And we need to make known what he's done. To speak to the doubt. To speak into places where there is no faith. I love this. Jesus goes straight to the gospel when he responds to John. This is the good news. This is the good news. This is what's happening. If you could see it for yourself, you would see. The blind receive sight. The dead are raised. Some stuff is going on, Jesus says. And then the second thing is that Jesus has such grace for John. He has such grace for John. He doesn't scold John. He doesn't put John down. Matter of fact, he goes on to call him the greatest man born of a woman. That would be a cool title to have said about you. <clears throat> I love it. He doesn't blast him. It's like Jesus sees John's plight with compassion. It's like Jesus understands. Yep, he sees John in the prison. Have you ever, have you ever struggled to be seen by somebody? Man, Jesus sees you, you guys. Jesus sees you. He knows the backstory on your life. He knows where you've been, why you've been there, and what's been going on. He knows the challenges that you faced. He knows what's behind your doubts. He sees John, and he, he meets him with compassion. He says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Or let me say it this way, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's like a beatitude, isn't it? Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed, uh, yes, this is what that's like. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Another way to say it, maybe your translation says it this way, is blessed is he who's not offended by me. 
What he's saying to John is like, hey, I get it. Like, I'm not showing up the way that you expected. Blessed are you for staying with me even through it. Isn't that powerful? Jesus sees John's situation. He understands why John would have some doubt. And he tells him in grace, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed are you for not losing faith when things get hard. Blessed are you when you keep the faith, even when Jesus doesn't show up the way that you expect him to. This is what Jesus is saying to John. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, John's disciples were leaving now. So I guess they've heard enough. Now they're leaving. And Jesus began to speak to the larger crowd about John. This is pretty rad what happens here. Jesus starts talking about John in such a way that the truth about himself is proclaimed to the crowd. All right, listen to what he says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Again, speaking about John. A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is that John is the Isaiah 40 voice in the wilderness, calling out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John, or Jesus is affirming John. Jesus is saying to the crowd, John got it right. The guy John, who had some doubts about what's going on right now, the guy who sent his disciples to me just now, that John, the one with doubts, he had it right. He had it right. What a gracious act of Jesus. He affirms John's position. He affirms the way that John has walked out his life and his calling. Oh, and also, in so doing, what is Jesus saying about his own self? Remember Matthew's point in writing this gospel, speaking to a mostly Jewish audience, trying to convince them of the divinity of Jesus and of the messiahship of Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, John was the one prophesied about. He did what he was supposed to do. He said what he was supposed to say. And therefore, I am God in flesh. This is a claim of messiahship on Jesus' behalf. He's saying, I am the Christ. And how is he saying it? He's using John's life and testimony to say it. It's beautiful. I love the way that he affirms the life of John the Baptist here. He's not scared of doubts, you guys. He's not scared of doubts. He looks at a life of, t of testimony, right? This is awesome. Super cool. Jesus validates John's ministry. He's saying this man is the fulfillment of the prophecy that one would come to prepare the way for me. And I'm the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. So in so doing, I believe that Jesus, he's honoring John's actual status as a believer. He's proclaiming the gospel truth of his own deeds, right? Look what's happened. I healed the sick. I raised the dead. Good news is delivered to the poor. 
and he's pointing to John's faithful life as a testimony and prophecy fulfilled. I hear Jesus saying as he speaks to the crowds about John and about himself, he's like speaking to John, isn't he? You wonder if John's disciples can hear as they're walking off. He's saying, John, you're a believer. I know you came to me with some questions, but John, you were the first believer. And you're a believer, John, it's who you are. This is the testimony of your life. You know who I am. You recognize me as the Christ. You proclaim the truth about me, as was our Father's plan. And I see the faith in your question as you've come to me with your doubt. He's saying, I am the Christ, John. I am the Christ. Hold on to hope, John. See, because if Jesus really is the Christ, then even when things are not what we would expect, even when so-and-so is not healed, even when your job situation does not work out, even when you sit behind bars, there is coming a day where there will be freedom from captivity. Amen. There is coming a day. And I think Jesus would say this to John. Hold on, John. You got it right, John. You're a believer. Your whole life testified to it. You got it right. Hold on, John. There's a day of freedom coming. And then he wraps up this little soliloquy with this really powerful phrase. Verse 15, whoever has ears, let them hear. Yeah, I would even say this morning for us, whoever of us has ears to hear, let us truly hear. Because we know that in some ways, even when we hear audibly, we're not like really hearing in our hearts. Do you know what I'm saying? And so Jesus would say, let him who has ears truly hear. <clears throat> the third slide, the third point, most in the, crowds, uh, most in the crowds actually miss Jesus. This is the third uh, part of the story. You know, despite what Jesus has done, you guys, despite the prophetic fulfillment and the produced fruit of John and Jesus' life, there are those in the crowd who object. They say, uh, John came just like the Old Testament said, proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. This is what happened, isn't it? John came just like the Old Testament said. Jesus came just like the Old Testament said doing the things he said he would do. And yet, Jesus says here, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. All these things that the Old Testament prophesied have come to be. And yet, the crowd, Jesus says, are like children in the marketplace. It would seem from Jesus' words that most in the crowd's found reason to object to him or missed him completely, probably because he wasn't what they were expecting. You know, he's not spiritual enough. He doesn't fast enough, right? That was a, that was a claim against Jesus that some made. He's not scrupulous enough. He's not separatist enough. He hangs out with sinners, like the worst sinners, the tax collectors, he hangs out with like lepers, ooh, unclean. He cares about women. What the heck? Not my words, that, that's the words of the crowd, I imagine. You get what I'm saying, right? They're finding all these reasons to object to Jesus and his ministry. He's not showing up the way that they were expecting. The crowds were ex expecting something different. 
So though Jesus has been drawing a big crowd, I mean, we've seen this in the stories. Jesus is attracting a huge crowd. And yet he says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to the others. He's been drawing a huge crowd, but the number of actual followers, you guys, is the actual disciples, like the number of actual disciples, not just crowds, but the number of actual disciples who have said, you know what, Jesus, I'll lay my life down and follow you. That number, even who have heard his words and seen his deeds, the number who have actually responded to his call, it's actually quite few. There were many in the masses, but few in the fold. There were many in the crowds of people who came to listen to Jesus, admirers of Jesus, observers of Jesus. I think sometimes we can almost like, C.S. Lewis calls this maybe a form of like chronological snobbery. Like if we were then, if we were back then, we would have got it. You know what I mean? Like we can do this. Like if I would have been there and I had seen all those people healed, I totally would have got that Jesus was the Messiah. But this is not the case, right? That's not what was happening. The crowds were, were huge. There were many in the masses, but very, very few actually entered the fold. This should be convicting to our hearts. Like convicting in a way that's kind and draws us to repentance. You guys, don't be one of the people in the masses. There's a warning in this, isn't there? Like a caution. Don't be an observer of Jesus. Don't be one who watches at a distance. Certainly don't be one who like picks holes at all the little things that he does and looks for reasons to object. Ah, oh, he didn't show up there, see? He wasn't what I was expecting, see? Bad things still happen to good people, see? These people in the masses, they're, they're picking holes in Jesus' game. Their hearts are hard. And if we're not careful, our hearts could be hard too. So take heed. We don't want to just admire him from afar. We want to come close to Jesus. See, the Jews, they didn't accept John the Baptist because he was too ascetic, right? He was too, like, extreme. He's out in the wilderness wearing camel skin. He's eating locusts. You know, the dude was probably seriously crazy. They said that about him, right? But they didn't accept Jesus either because Jesus was the opposite, right? The real Messiah wouldn't hang out with sinners. The real Messiah wouldn't be a glutton or, you know, eat or drink. Oh, my gosh, the, the miracle of the wine, what are these people? They're just like, there's no way that could be the Messiah. There's no way. They were picking holes everywhere about everything. And it's just crazy because the, the, the truth that was missed was the fact that Jesus came and now the sick are healed. Jesus came and the dead have been raised. Jesus came and he gave sight to the blind. Jesus came and he proclaimed the gospel of God to the poor. And yet the masses are standing back and poking holes. Ah, he drinks too much. He eats too much. He hangs out with sinners. Oh, but John, no, John, ah, well, he's crazy. He eats locusts. Who does that? He wears a camel skin. That's crazy. He lives in the wilderness. You see, the masses were finding reasons to object, weren't they? Hard hearts. Jesus was the Messiah that they missed. That's the whole point of this section. Jesus was the Messiah, but these people missed him. And why did they miss him? 
because he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. What does it say about our hearts when because he's not the Messiah we want, he can't be the Messiah at all? Who's the Messiah in that scenario? I'm the Messiah. And that's what we do with Jesus, isn't it? If he doesn't show up the way we expect him to show up, then he can't be the Messiah. If he doesn't heal my brother the way that I expected, if he doesn't set me free of this bondage the way I expected, then he's not the Messiah. Who am I worshiping if that's the way I I conduct myself? I think I'm worshiping myself, expecting God to do everything that I ask him to do. Expecting God to be like a little like fairy in a bottle, genie in a bottle. How do you mix metaphor? Sorry. <laughs> when we construct Jesus in our own image, you guys, when we make him out to be not the way he's revealed in scripture, not the way he really shows up, but the way we think he shows up, it's idolatry. To form Jesus in our own image is idolatry. Whether it's like overly aesthetic or overly accepting, we miss him when we do that. We can't try to form Jesus into our own image. Look, Matthew's Jesus, he came humbly. He came for the downcast and the brokenhearted. He healed, he performed miracles, he cast out demons, and he made demands of those that would follow him. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to lose your life. you got to pick up your cross. Jesus will not be made in our own image. Jesus will not be made in our own image. And I don't know what that means for you specifically. I mean, we do it in in many ways. We've all got our own ways. We're really creative at making Jesus into our own image. We're really creative at finding ways to worship ourselves. Agreed? And I don't even, I thought about listing some of the ways, but I don't want to offend anybody necessarily. I got my own ways. And I pray that God would, would speak to your heart right now and say, you know what? You've been making me into your own image in this way. And I think you need to repent. Jesus, would you convict our hearts right now? But listen, we've got to humbly acknowledge that his ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. That's an Isaiah 55 reference. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God speaking, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I guess it's actually a good thing that his ways are not our ways, isn't it? Jesus ends this little uh, rant to the crowds with this little end. He says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is verse 19b. The wisdom of Jesus and John the Baptist is demonstrated by the results which come from their actions. It's not their eating or their drinking, their dinner companions. It's none of that. Their dress, their home. It's none of that that matters. It's the content of their message and what comes from their actions that prove them to be genuine or not. Both will be fully vindicated in the end of time. Both are fully vindicated in the end of time by the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. Look, Jesus is saying here to end his little rant, look guys, the proof is in the pudding. The dead are raised. The lame walk. The blind have received sight. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. The proof is in the pudding. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is good news. So here it is. Uh, In this story, we've got John, the Baptist, or as I call him today, John, the believer, 
perhaps the first believer who comes to Jesus with a question that reflects his own doubt. And we've got the masses who, through their unbelief, they completely miss Jesus, the Messiah. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you guys, the only difference between an unbeliever and John is that when faced with doubt, John searched. Where did John go with his doubt? Where do you go with your doubt? When you're not sure that Jesus is who he says he is, where do you go? John came looking for the truth. He came looking for the way, the truth, and the life. He came looking for Jesus in his doubt. I want to encourage you this morning. It says in Jeremiah 29, If you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Church, I don't know your personal journey exactly. I've maybe heard bits and pieces, been along for part of the journey. I don't know your life story. I don't know what's going on right now in your life. I don't know what you're wading through. I don't know what, what doubt is arising for you. I don't know what's scaring you, what fears that you have about tomorrow. But I can tell you this, church, no matter your doubt, if you seek him with all your heart, you too will find him. If you seek him with all your heart, you, like John, will find him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're searchable, that you're knowable. I thank you that you're kind and you're compassionate to us, even in our doubts, Lord. I thank you uh, for the way that you validated our doubts, God. Not chastising us or scolding us for, for being human, but uh, loving us and being patient with us, compassionate for actually seeing us. I thank you that you're the one person who actually sees our heart and knows, who actually has compassion. You hear us, Lord. You don't stand in judgment. You understand why we might have doubts at times, just like John, Lord. I pray you give us the faith to continually come to your throne, Lord, to search for you, Lord. And I pray you be faithful to reveal yourself to us in the search. Amen. This has been a production of Exeter Valley Church. Visit us on the web at www.exetervalleychurch.com or in person at 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings at 218 Pine Street in downtown Exeter. Thank you.